0: Podcasting again. So the way podcasts work is that we record, but we don't release, most of us don't release the same day. Although I have had those times where I record and release in one day. It has not happened very often. So we have a guest here today, Emily Likens-Ellers, and you'll find her on Instagram the way I did at revolutionary, it's like an underscore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Motherhood. (laughs) revolutionary motherhood and we are recording on election day (laughs) so that feels just important to note it's like the energy in the air um and it's big important stuff so yeah this is to say that so like feels like the elephant of the room we'll just like drop that there in case it comes up (laughs) right um so Again, you can find Emily on Instagram at Revolutionary Motherhood. A particular post she posted had me um, connect with her. And it was a post, I think you said, my abortion was nine years ago, and you told a little bit of your story. And then you, um, in swiping over, there was a picture of the pregnancy options workbook, which I had forgotten about. So the, in that same post, what you wrote that really stuck out to me was, I'll never stop being grateful for the revolutionary motherhood this abortion allowed me. So I feel like that is so central to the conversation we're going to have. But then also you mentioned in the DMs after, um, after that post that you are working on an e-course to like sort of like an updated version of that pregnancy options workbook. So I want to talk about that too. So,
1: welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for asking um asking to talk to me. I think this is really great what you're doing and um I think that having an uh, a more robust conversation about abortion is is starting to happen and I'm so glad that we connected on Instagram. People are always Debating the efficacy of organizing on the internet and we are having a conversation on election day about really relevant issues and um, And I, I think what's different about like the conversation you're having about abortion and the conversation I'm trying to have about abortion is that we're not trying to debate whether it's right or wrong It's already accepted in the way that we talk about abortion that That it's okay and moving forward, what are the issues that come up? Like, once we step away from the contentiousness of the procedure, it opens up uh, all of the same sorts of things that birth, childbirth does for people the same sort of vulnerabilities and the same sort of questions about care and what kind of provider you want and what sorts of access to choices you have about your pregnancy, mm-hmm. whether that's an epidural, or an abortion.
0: Right. When you were speaking just now, you said, we're not trying to debate, is it right or is it wrong? And then you said, you know, just that it is. And you said, okay. But I feel like that sentence just needs to stop. Not that I want to, like, rearrange your words, but literally just, it is. Yeah. End of story. And it always- it's kind of like, I am. <laughs> like... That's it, let's just stop there and pause for a moment. It is. Abortion is. Um, I remember one particular client I worked with, uh, a two sentence, two word sentence that became so helpful for her was abortion happens.
1: Yeah. That's it. It's just
0: like, let's just start there. (laughs) Then we can have a conversation about access and politics and healing and all the things but first we have to just recognize that it's going to happen regardless of the outcome of this election it's going to keep happening it's a part of humanity it just is and so what do we want to do about that and i feel like that's the work you and i are doing is like how do we want to make this a part of the conversation for mothers for women for people with wombs
1: Yes. Yeah, and and I think that in so much abortion is it always has been, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we we hear a lot about Margaret Sanger and like the birth of the American abortion rights movement and the way that it's tied up with eugenics and uh, reproductive coercion and control and the genocide of people of color and all of that. But abortion existed before all of that and beyond all of that, too. So opening up this conversation, shedding light on the very kind of like sordid history of how abortion has been used to control and oppress, you know, Mm -hmm. is also something we can't have in the pro-choice movement very often because uh, we're so fiercely defending ourselves from those who would rather us stay pregnant. So until we can really accept that abortion is and always has been, we can't, uh, we don't even have the emotional space Mm -hmm. to do any of that.
0: Yeah. Criticizing or
1: unpacking. Yeah.
0: So let's jump back, if you're up for it, and tell us your story. Tell us, did revolutionary motherhood well, first of all, so many things. Okay, tell us what it means tell us when it started for you. Did it evolve from this reproductive experience of abortion? Did it, Is this something that you were just like born with? I always say birth runs in my blood. <laughs> and by birth, I mean also mean abortion. It's just like womb experience runs in my blood. Um, so tell us, how did you get here? Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. Um, so when I was a little girl, mm-hmm. um, my parents struggled with secondary infertility. Mm. And I was obsessed with having a sibling. Like I mm-hmm. desperately wanted a sibling. Mm. And my parents did too. Uh, my mom experienced an ectopic pregnancy um, and she had to have a surgery. To not only save her life, but her fallopian tube so that she could move forward and continue her family, you know, creating the family that she envisioned, which included a sibling for me. Um, I mean, I literally would wish on stars and toss my pennies in the wishing well, hoping for a little baby in the family. So, my parents went through IVF and they were lucky enough to be able to afford in vitro with the help of friends and family and it was successful my mom got pregnant with twins oh my God, now i
0: had like intense chills in the <laughs> 30 seconds okay yeah, pregnant and, with twins carry on
1: um yeah she got pregnant with twins so they actually implanted three embryos and mm-hmm. two to and there were i think 10 other embryos that were discarded Mm-hmm. is a part of this process. So I'm always kind of joking with my mom, who's Catholic and pro-choice, um, that like, yep, you've had them too. Uh, <laughs> but um, she developed preeclampsia mm. um, during her pregnancy and ended up having Stephen and Cora about a month early. Um, and they were healthy, we, we had really wonderful health care. My mom had a C-section, and everything turned out happily ever after, and now they're both at university and doing great. So my early childhood experience was really shaped by wow. uh, this. You know, this was like, so I, I grew up in a community that had a handful of sort of religious fundamental Fundamentalists, uh, yeah. maybe not. Maybe I mean, their home birth was a normal part of their experience. And so, okay. at sixteen years old, I was invited to attend my best friend's mom's home birth. Wow!
0: And
1: that was, of course, my first real experience seeing birth in its raw form, mm-hmm. and that, of course, shaped me in deep ways as well. So fast forward, I'm in college and going to school in a different state than I grew up in. I was far away from my family. I got pregnant. I didn't want to be pregnant. I wasn't ready to be a mother. Um, the moment I knew, because it was an excruciating decision for me, because I loved babies. I loved birth. I, I knew I wanted to be a mother. Um, I knew that it would be part of my trajectory. I'd always envisioned motherhood. So all of this was very difficult, right? Like, like is this God or fate or the great beyond signaling oh, really? to me that this is the time to step into my motherhood? So I'm like going back and forth, going back and forth. I went to options counseling at Blue Mountain Clinic and they are a full family practice in Missoula, Montana. It's a 501c3, so you can make a donation if you want to. And they do fully integrated abortion care. So you can go there, and when you're sitting in the waiting room, you don't know if the person sitting next to you is there for their child's vaccinations, for a cough and a cold, for hormone replacement therapy because they're transgender, or maybe they're there having an abortion. Maybe they're there doing all of those things because they have a fully integrated healthcare model. So, okay. um,
0: So again, link to donate. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. Blue, Blue,
1: Mountain, Blue Mountain Clinic was firebombed in the, in the 1990s, um, 1993 and rebuilt. Wow. Um, wow. and it's a really phenomenal place with fantastic staff and a really great model of healthcare. Wow. So, um, that's all just sort of my little rant that I always give about the wonderful nature of Montana politics. They're really, mm. um, it's a great place wow. to come of age. So I went to Blue Mountain Clinic. I got options counseling and I got that workbook. And I went home and I did that workbook. And I was like, Oh God, I don't think I can do this. Mm. <laughs> so in that workbook, and I, I should have grabbed it. I, um, it's out in the other room. Um, so in the workbook, it has things like timelines, like how old are you now? And how old will you be when the baby is born? How old will you be when the baby is in kindergarten? How old will you be when the baby's in high school? Um, Questions about like, okay, where are you going to put the kid when you go to work? Like who's going to support you in your decisions? Like it just really, really logically walks you through all of your steps. And um, I went through that and I was just like, Oh God! But I still had this pang in my heart, like.
0: So when you went through that, did you feel like the answers came clearly to you? Like, like was it easy to answer those questions, or was it kind of like, oh my gosh, like I have no idea where I will put this baby in daycare? <laughs> like- yeah,
1: I mean, it, it was obvious to me that I couldn't mm-hmm. logistically handle a baby. I was twenty-one years old. Right. I was living sixteen hundred miles away from my nearest family member. I had just gotten into the college of my dreams. I was sharing a studio apartment with my friend and the guy who got me pregnant was not the kind of person I wanted to, uh, raise kids with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Okay, but all those factors so, in place. All those factors you I still, still got had, through and you were like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh I god,
1: I still had no clue. I still had no clue. I already felt like I had a responsibility to a baby, to my baby, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. felt I felt yeah. pregnant. I felt pregnant. I was seven I was about 7 weeks when I found mm-hmm. out. So like it was all very heart wrenching and all. I was very upset and up and down. I called my cousin and she helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. I, and I talked to my roommate. She was there for me through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the guy who got me pregnant was like there, but you know how they are. So it's just not the same. So, um, yeah. And he was like adamant that parenthood wasn't like his ideal choice, but that he was there for whatever I needed. Right. Like he was Pretty very good. supportive. He said, all he said all the right things and did all the right things. He mm-hmm. was just sort of an emotional potato. It was mm-hmm. just sort of, so, um, I wasn't sure, but one day I was walking downtown and I saw this woman getting out of her vehicle and she had a baby with her. So she had like all the stuff that first time moms have, you know, they have the big bag and the like complicated stroller And the baby was screaming and she was like trying to wrestle all of this stuff. And I was just like, Oh my God, there's no way I can do this. Like, like how is she staying calm under all of this pressure? And it was just like a moment where I realized like, this isn't just, can I afford diapers?
0: Yeah, this
1: is. Teaching someone how to use the toilet, but it's also teaching someone how to deal with like heartbreak and disappointment and frustration. It's like teaching someone how to talk, but it's also teaching them how to like say things that are kind to others. And it was like all of these. Like I couldn't even emotionally regulate myself at twenty one. I was like, how could I possibly teach another human being how to be good? I need to
0: figure out how to be good first. Wow. So he was um, like a guardian angel for you this mother on the street.
1: Yeah, it was, it was so random. And like, it just, it really, it really illuminated for me Mm. some, some of my own feelings. And so I, I had the abortion, but I felt awful about it. Like I felt like pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss, you know, it felt like pregnancy loss. So, but I felt like I couldn't claim sadness. I couldn't claim Grief. I couldn't express it. It was something I couldn't talk to people about, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't tell my mom. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know how she would react, and I didn't want to disappoint her. I I I couldn't tell. You know, I it was it was you know a silenced type experience. Mm-hmm. So then I get online and I start searching for like, oh, I'm sad about my abortion, and of course, end up at the CPCs. Of course, who tell me you're traumatized. You'll never be able to love your children. You're ruined. Ask God for forgiveness.
0: <laughs> so I was kind of like there for a while and I studied literature
1: in college. So I was like and running. Did that out. serve
0: you for a little bit? Like, did it help? No, no. no.
1: Uh, it was, it was far more traumatizing than the procedure itself. It was itself. straight up
0: bad news right from the start. Cause I do know women yeah. who have found comfort in, um, Pregnancy option clinics that yeah. and then it's not until the very end where they realize they've been completely manipulated. So it's just curious if you kind of knew right from the start, like, oh, this is not right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was something about it that didn't feel right to me. And partially it was because I was I was already uh consciously divorced from my Catholicism. <laughs> uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I had already done my struggle and search for faith, and so when I saw how associated it was with sort of like this word of God, it was something easy for me to reject. And oh, and that was sort yeah. of when I hooked up and started realizing there's more to all of this than meets the eye. It's not. Wow. So I, I was taking a course. It was my capstone course for my, my, to graduate with my degree in literature. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was a, the theme was death. The capstones theme was about death. So I chose to study and write about abortion, wow. representations of abortion mm-hmm. in literature. And that was when I really got deep. Wow. <laughs> um, Can you ever come back and read that work? You know, I probably should, but I haven't.
0: It'd be fascinating, that's, I bet, because that's how many years ago now? It was
1: 2011. Um, 2011. So yeah, nine years. Almost
0: 10 years ago. Yeah. Eight, year, eight nine years. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still um, often think back to some of the research I did, and, and the, my paper ended up being kind of focused on the messiness, the messiness of birth, mm-hmm. and the messiness of abortion, and the messiness of pregnancy, because wow. it is, it's a messy thing. You have to yes, yes. sort through your own ideas about what is right when you're deciding if you're going to have an abortion, and yeah. you have to find a way to find your own compass in a way. And that's Mm -hmm. messy, right? It brings up a lot of difficult emotions and a lot of ideas about um, punishment or judgment, like, you know, God type judgment. So anyway, I did a lot of reading about abortion and I was pretty disappointed with the representations I had discovered and I was intrigued and I wanted to keep, keep doing this. So one of my classmates was like, oh, there is an abortion clinic in town. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Blue Mountain Clinic. I was like, yes, I've heard of Blue Mountain Clinic. Um, and they are doing a play. It's called The Abortion Monologues. And like, wow. maybe you would like to write about the abortion monologues. There's a meeting at this coffee shop, blah, blah, blah. So um, I walk into that meeting feeling like totally out of place, like I didn't belong. Um, and by the end of it, the the person who was who was running the project, offered me an internship at the clinic, um, and that's my best friend, Lindsay Burke, and she became my mentor and my close friend, and she's the one I'm developing the e-course with now.
0: Oh, so, awesome. I was wondering who, what you meant when you said partner. I think that was- Yeah. The oh, yeah. No, awesome. I know. People are, people are always
1: asking us that. No, we're just best friends.
0: <laughs> nice. um, but no, I yeah. didn't know if you meant life partner, business partner. Like, I had no idea. She is a life
1: partner in so many ways.
0: Awesome. But, <laughs> but I, I
1: am married, and my, I don't, I don't want my husband to get offended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, um, so this is this course is the one I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, sort of like an upgraded e-course for the pregnancy options workbook. I cannot wait to see this.
1: Yeah. In, in yeah. In
0: vested form. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the Pregnancy Options Workbook is perfect at its core. Um, But as we all know, the abortion movement has become more gender-inclusive. Yes. The abortion movement has started talking about things in kind of a different way. And Mm -hmm. so that that booklet is becoming, um, you know, it's not as accessible to all as it was when it was written in the early 90s. Yeah. I mean... Back when I was wishing for a brother or a sister is when the book was written, you know, now my brother and sister are in college. So they use the internet. I use the internet. So, um, Lindsay is, she works for an organization that works internationally providing contraception and abortion pills to, um, mostly, um, French speaking West Africa. So she works in a completely different environment than I do. Mm -hmm. And we're, it's been slow going because we're trying to figure out the right way to meet the needs of so many different people. But the idea is that we want a way for people to feel like they're having their hand held as they go through a medical abortion or an at-home abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually we're going to, we're going to create a, you know, more courses that will help people sort of work through these different aspects yeah. But it's, it's always difficult. It's because abortion is such a personal issue and such a unique experience. It It's definitely challenging to, to figure out the right content to include. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to.
0: I know you want to cover all your bases and I'm of two minds. Like that is super important, but it's also super important to just speak directly to the group that you want to speak to. So I can see how complicated yeah. that would be. Um, I don't know if you listened to it, but uh, two weeks ago, um, the plan C, right? Okay, so um, I had asked her, and I didn't put it together. like I didn't make the connections when I was talking to her, but I had asked her, like, what's the mental health care around access to abortion pills? And that doesn't so much exist in, in her world. Now I'm like, oh, right, that's Emily. That's the work that she's stepping into.
1: (laughs) To hear you say that gives
0: me chills. (laughs) So this is that. This is the mental health support around accessing your own care. And um, amazing.
1: Yeah, Because, I mean, at at Blue Mountain Clinic, they have a really revolutionary model, as I've said. One of the things that's revolutionary about it is that you get one-on-one counseling from an abortion doula who provides you continuous care from the time you walk in the clinic until the time you step out of the clinic so
0: i need to have them on the show yeah i can definitely connect you with their i
1: can connect you with those people for sure they are fantastic and and really um i mean for them it feels like every day it's like they don't even realize how revolutionary the care is so an
0: abortion doula from start to what to what's the well if you're having
1: a surgical procedure in the clinic, the abortion doula is the one who calls you back after you check in. The mm-hmm. abortion doula is the one who takes your blood pressure and gives you a little finger poke to find out if you need a rogam shot or if you have mm-hmm. enough iron, and need a supplement. The abortion doula gives you your little swab for your whiff test and your Oh my little- gosh, it oh. chills oh. again. So <laughs> Amazing. And then after all of the, uh, that basic stuff is done, we would sit down in a room together and just talk. And the, the role of an abortion doula at Blue Mountain Clinic in the clinical setting is not only to give people a safe space to express emotion because studies show that that helps reduce regret and mm-hmm. distress later on, which is also a liability issue for clinics. So like investing in your patients' long-term right. mental health means they're not going to turn around and sue your ass because they regret their abortion. Like this is common business sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And and it gives us a chance to almost inoculate people. And that's a term that comes sort of from my union organizing. Like you tell people the bad stuff they might hear in a safe and gentle way so that when they hear Mm -hmm. it in the world, it's easy for them to reject.
0: Right.
1: So, we were trained on the job to really provide really one-on-one malleable care to whatever people need. Some people came in and they were very upset and needed a lot of time and wanted to talk about religious conflict, you know, or moral conflict. They felt like abortion was murder. So Mm -hmm. we had to have those kinds of hard combos. And then um, some people came in and just had a few questions about the procedure you know that was like what we also did was we showed them all of the instruments so they knew what to expect and could truly give their informed consent before the procedure and we also it was like our
0: job to make sure they weren't being coerced
1: okay so we missed
0: a part of this story i think so you went through your own experience and then you became an abortion doula with the clinic
1: yes yes. yeah Lindsay offered me the internship and within a few weeks. Right, right, right. right. Was,
0: okay. I so this training, back to that, myself. Lindsay. Okay. Now I remember where you said that. Okay. Yeah. So how um, long did you do that work? Are you still uh, doing it now? Well, I still am
1: an abortion doula, but not with the clinic. I don't live in Montana anymore. Um, and I, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I was at the clinic like two or three years. Mm -hmm. And then um, from there, I made a switch over to uh, union and labor organizing for a while. Um, Once I had my own babies, I sort of stepped away from stuff for a little while because pregnancy, childbearing, childbirth, postpartum breastfeeding is intense. Mm -hmm. So um, that was... That actually is kind of an important part of the story because I was a wreck after my abortion. Like, I was a mess emotionally. Like, Mm -hmm. we'd be reading poems in my poetry class and I'd have to, like, run out of the room and, like, go cry in the bathroom. And, like, I was very upset. And so I sort of struggled for a while thinking, oh, no, did I not do the right thing because I'm so sad, so deeply sad about this and I couldn't shake it. Um, And
0: you still have access to an abortion doula at that point in your um, no, aftercare
1: wasn't really part of it. Okay. Once you're out the door at the clinic, that's sort of it.
0: Okay. So, so they've totally one. mastered the pre and, you know, during care, but. but yeah.
1: And they had mental health care. They have counselors there at the clinic. So you can always book an appointment with one of the on staff, um, you know, on staff licensed yeah. medical yes. yeah licensed clinical healthcare workers and they would, they would counsel, but yeah. no, there was no, there was no aftercare, um, doulas, doula. So while. at
0: this point, when you are leaving class overrun with emotions, where are you finding solace and comfort? Like, where are you finding peace?
1: Um, honestly, like nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything was kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I mean, I, I, um, I study literature, I write. So I mean I was writing poetry and I was reading a lot. I was doing this project, this this death in literature project and I was wrestling with a lot of my own views, but there was no pro choice community to connect to. You know, nowadays I'm I'm on places like Abortion Support USA on Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that did not exist mm-hmm. when I was going through my abortion. So
0: and what so when was this? you said nine nine years ago. Now. Yeah, it was yeah. like twenty eleven. Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah. then by 2012, I had an internship at the clinic because I was participating, helping them put together the abortion monologue. Right, right, right. That's a play by Jane Cawthorn. She's a um, she's a Canadian writer. Mm-hmm. So we produced that, and I started training as a counselor. And at that point, that was when I really started feeling my healing was like paying it forward and being involved in the movement. Uh, yeah. So I was a mess. I was a big mess. But then after I had my babies. I had terrible postpartum depression. Mm. Like, I mean, duh, I had postpartum depression after my abortion. And I would never have thought of that right. until I had my own kids. And then I was like, oh, God. I remember this. <laughs> I know what's going on. So Wow. I- Yeah, I think that um, like what you're doing, this after abortion stuff is the conversation that needs to be had because after the abortion, it's assumed that we're going to get back to our normal lives and that's what we all want. But there's often unresolved issues that we just carry silently because we don't want to be judged for feeling regretful or feeling sad. but it's okay to be sad about things you have to choose. It's okay to be sad about having to choose abortion or wanting to choose abortion. Now I know that now I can hold both thoughts in my head. It was the right thing to do, but I'm still sad about it. Yeah, That is kind of hard. And I think especially I'm, I'm trauma informed. So as a trauma informed birth worker, I know that it's literally physiologically impossible for the brain to hold two simultaneous but conflicting thoughts when you are uh, under the influence of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. So like understanding how people's past reproductive experiences impact Mm -hmm. the way they perceive their abortion is the other piece of the puzzle that I think is really missing to providing this mental health care that you're talking
0: about. Because we know that. Yeah, and do you know resources for that? Because my work, it's important. It's so, so important. And I'm so glad to be doing it. But it does not speak to clinical depression. Like, that is not my realm. Right. I'm here for, like, I'm super sad. I'm experiencing shame, grief, relief, uh, regret, guilt, all the things. But I'm also functioning at a you know, fairly, like, I can get out of bed in the morning. Like, I can go to work. Maybe I take a day off, but, like, I can take care of my children. Um, do you know anyone who, any resources for, like, clinical depression and the experience of trauma after abortion?
1: Yeah, I mean, the problem is that people aren't really, I mean, the turn away study, of okay. course, t- sorry amazing <laughs> oh right right and the turnaway study tells us that people's mental health before their abortion is the greatest indicator of how they'll feel after their abortion so yeah, yeah. in the case of clinical depression like you're talking about um but what what uh the thing about trauma is that when we have other things like clinical depression or malnutrition or housing insecurity or family drama, or anything happening in our lives that causes us instability. It lowers our resilience to trauma. And trauma is simply about perception. Two people can get in the exact same car accident. One person feels like I have a strong, healthy body and I can get out of this situation. The other person feels like, oh no, I'm going to die. So it's the same car accident, it's the same experience, the same injuries, but one person is traumatized and another person had a very bad day.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that has to do with so much more than the actual event. It has to do with all of these other factors. So,
0: um,
1: when we're talking about like Planned Parenthood, when you go have an abortion at Planned Parenthood, they pop in a video to watch. And that okay. video is like, oh, it's okay to have an abortion, it'll be fine. And they show you the video about like what to expect so you can give your informed consent. But there's no, unpacking or interaction or connection because the the thing that we know clinically about PTSD is that the antidote to trauma is connection
0: Mm.
1: so the more we can do to connect with people and that means not just oh wow that's a nice thought for me to have we need to be stimulating people's ventral vagal nervous system You know, we need to be getting away from fight or flight and away from dorsal shutdown and back into, you know, rest and digest. Mm -hmm. So like, how do we do Mm -hmm. that after any pregnancy? We do that with Yoni steams. We do that with sits baths. We do that with postpartum support groups. We do that with postpartum therapy. We do that with antidepressant drugs. We do it with tea and with long naps and with extra walks in the fresh air. And all of these things, you know, we should be encouraging people to be treating themselves like they're postpartum yeah, after an abortion. Yeah. The first 40 days after you end a pregnancy, no matter how or where or when it ends, is a sacred time for you. Mm. So, um, you know, nobody allows themselves that. Everybody's like, okay, I'm not pregnant anymore. I, be- I guess I better get back to work and get back to taking care of my kids. But like, maybe we should lay in bed for a couple of days. And maybe we should call off work a little bit. even I mean, maybe you don't even have to be sad. It's the end of a pregnancy. An abortion isn't a big
0: deal. I'm just gonna honor this transition in my life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just rest until you're done bleeding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would if you had had a baby or if you had had a miscarriage, you might allow yourself a little bit of, of grace. Yeah. I mean, right. even if, even, even if you don't have emotional conflict, you've still been pregnant.
0: Yeah. As soon as you get when pregnant, I first. Oh, oh no, go. Uh, I was just going to say, when I first stepped into this work, I remember thinking like, I was so overwhelmed and I almost like couldn't take the first steps because I thought I had to like do it all, cover it all, like understand oh. it all. And it was really, it took me a, a good long while to like find my voice and accept that I could do what I could do. And so I feel like every single one of these podcast conversations are opening so many doors of like work that is calling to be done. And that used to overwhelm me. That used to be like, oh my God, it was like daunting. There's so much to do. And now I get excited. Like I get excited hearing you talk about this and seeing just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for people to step into this work and I I love just noticing that that what used to feel really daunting and scary and like unfathomable now feels like opportunity and it feels like beautiful and loving space that we all get to step into Um, and it's time it's time
1: (laughs) yeah well election day no better time
0: no better time.
1: Do you okay. want to tell
0: us anything about um, revolutionary motherhood and what that means to you? Yeah. Um,
1: I believe abortion is a parenting choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. <laughs> so I Say it again. <laughs> mean, abortion is a parenting choice and it was a very important parenting choice for me to make. Yes. And now that I am a parent, I become more and more solidified in the choice that I made because I wake up every day and think, wow, this is hard, but it would be harder if I was only 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like the person I am now versus the person I was then, I wouldn't even recognize myself because mm-hmm. I've, I've been propelled towards growth. I, I, when I decided I was going to terminate my pregnancy, I decided it had to be worth it. I I had to, I had to become the person I needed to be, to be able to handle the bag and the car seat and the screaming, right. Right. And the, and and I had to be ready.
0: Yeah. It was like a call to action to become a revolutionary mother. Absolutely. It was
1: a call to action. It was a call to action. And, and I, um, I feel like I am trying to wage revolution in the way that I'm raising my children today. Um, I feel like motherhood has been a revolution for me because it's been my impetus to explore and heal my own trauma. And I feel like motherhood can be so transformational for so many people. Um, but, But also every time we parent with kindness and gentleness and intention, and every time we allow someone the choice to opt out of parenthood, we are making choices, um, not just for ourselves, but obviously for the next generation. I know that sounds sort of self-evident, but, but what sort of tomorrow are we going to have depends on how we treat our children today. So I just wanted to make sure that I was ready for that, that revolution because I didn't want to, create a life for my children that they would have to recover from at any point. I wanted to give them a good and happy, carefree life. That was more important to me than just figuring it out or whatever. I don't know. Like, like I feel as though, I don't know. I, we talk about human sacrifice with like ancient cultures a lot, right? Uh Like this idea of human sacrifice. Why did ancient cultures sacrifice humans on altars? Like Because the offering to the gods gives them bounty to continue on and create something more abundant than the individual. So in sacrificing that option of motherhood, you know, in saying no to motherhood in that moment, I created fertile ground for me to go forward and and have a motherhood that matched my ideals because it was like, that moment where I realized I'm not the person I want to be, you know? So that, that was powerful and that was cool. And it, yeah. it propelled me to my career because when I got pregnant, I thought I was going to be an English teacher or an editor or a journalist or something. And here I am, a doula. Like I never would have. Yeah. If you would have told me back then that I was going to be a doula,
0: I probably would have right. been like, no, yeah. thank you. It's like that choice opened a container for new work for you.
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah, so beautiful. I have a client who says um, abortion was how I parented that pregnancy, and I just like yes. I hear her say it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> magic. Oh, yes, yes. So and good. now
1: you know, I um, I'm a kinship caregiver, so like I've seen the sorts of results of you know what I mean. Like it sucks. It sucks for kids to be born when they're not when the situation's not ready for them.
0: Yeah, it it really does. And it's hard to talk about that once they're here. It's hard to look at a child and say like, your container sucks. Sorry about that. (laughs) And like
1: we're doing everything (laughs) we can, right? But like we're able to do all of that because we have a lot of family privilege right now. And without that family privilege, who knows? what would have happened or where he would be or what the outcomes for him or his mother could be so all of these unknowns right like i can only imagine other families face more intense pressures than i can even imagine because they don't have access to the kinds of resources i do and that was like the other thing about my abortion like it was so simple yeah. i had no barriers to care yeah. I was able to get counseling i literally walked to my abortion appointment it was so close to my apartment oh, amazing it was less than three blocks away mm-hmm. so I I had no I had no barrier I mean like getting the money together was kind of hard but like he paid for half so it was yeah. like obviously not impossible yeah. I had a job yeah. I didn't I mean I missed a day of school that was like the biggest Ooh.
0: Yeah. I had the same experience, like no obstacles in my way. My access to care was phenomenal. And I think like that is, that gives us one more way to like use our voice, right? We didn't have to overcome that hurdle. Um, and it opened space for us to, to speak out and say, you know, everyone should have that care that we had. Everyone.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then once I became a counselor at the clinic, I talked to people who had driven 12, 16 hours to get to our clinic because they lived in you know, rural Wyoming Yeah, and they had to come all the way to Missoula for an abortion. So like, I, I mean, really, it's remarkable that everything sort of lined up. So like when you say that birth and birth work was sort of like, it does, it feels like a calling. Right, it feels like I've been on this path all this time, and hopefully the e-course will be sort of the culmination of all this work that Lindsay and I have been doing. We've been um, we've done legislative work, and we've done um, a lot of programmatic work, and taught sex ed, and I mean we've done like all of these different corners of it, and there's just nothing quite like the abortion stuff.
0: Yeah, there really isn't. It's it's as a doula, it was it was piece of the work that I totally avoided like when I was in birth doula care I didn't like repel it but I just really avoided it I didn't realize how rich it was and how powerful it was and so I look back and see that now but at the time when I was in birth doula care like I had no idea what was here it's messy yeah it's messy and that makes it all the more special Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything you didn't say that you feel like needs to come out before we close? Yeah, the well,
1: I know we've been going very long. You usually don't.
0: <laughs> um, but the reflective
1: practice, um, th- I have a post-abortion reflective practice
0: that nice. people can go
1: and work through on their own. Um, if you use the form and you type Right, up I totally an answer, forgot about this. I know I did too. You ask good questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you type in the answers and submit them, then we publish them on the blog. We don't have a ton of stories yet because mostly it's like people that I counsel and then they go through and do it at the yeah. end. I mean, yeah. there we've gotten a few people I don't know, but mostly it's been, it's been a long process to get each individual.
0: I even sat down and started that and didn't finish. So you're reminding me to go do that as well. Yeah. Um, It takes about a half an hour and it can be kind of. I think that's uh, what happened to me is I opened it on my phone and then I was like, Ooh, half hour. I don't want to be on my phone for like typing on this tiny keyboard. Like I want to open it on the desk, like on a computer and do it. So thank you for reminding me. We will link to that, but you could just (laughs) go to the website for anyone who wants to.
1: Get. trauma, and That's okay. my website. And the blog is hosted on there. So, right. um, it should be easy to find. And yeah, I, I, I hope people will fill it out because like you said, we don't have a lot of resources on the internet about like mental health, um, surrounding abortion. And so the best thing we can do is try to make connections. And I, a lot of the stories on there are messy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. And you have two, you have, that's another Instagram account of yours.
1: Yeah. My trauma informed doula yes. is like yes. my business account. Yeah. And I try yeah. to keep it a little more palatable because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> my revolutionary motherhood, that's just me. That's just, yeah. that's just I know. I think, I think I feel so daughter.
0: drawn to that because I feel like that is the choice I made. Right. It was like, that was how I parented that pregnancy as well. And so I just feel so drawn to that like idea that abortion is part of revolutionary motherhood.
1: Yeah, I'm it's glad amazing. it resonates with you. I'm
0: glad you I'm glad you got it. <laughs> <laughs> it. Well, soul sisters here. So, thank you again. Um we will link to that maybe someday we'll include that, you know, that blog and that work in a different podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for your work. I'm so glad we're friends now and we can. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah. So there's a, you know, high five to the internet as crazy as it is and as detached as it can make us. It also creates amazing things, amazing things in the world.
1: And we're going to need it if Roe ever gets overturned. We're going to need all these connections.
0: Mm. Gulp. try to take care of yourself today election day bye-bye thanks for listening and as always please consider sharing rating and reviewing this podcast it helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion if you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling hiding or wishing you could move beyond your experience head over to my website and book a free call We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice.